predicting plane crash. And so he thinks he just might be indestructible, invincible. Because unlike the precious few other survivors from the crash, he's completely unhurt. So he decides to just eat the food that he was previously allergic to and survives. He fools around fearlessly on the edge of high-rise buildings and his preferred mode of transport is now air travel. But eventually his allergic reactions return and in the end he recovers back to a more normal, healthy fear reality again. But I think there's something in all of us that would love to be fearless. And I don't know how I know this, but apparently Taylor Swift has an album by that title. So she presumably aspires to be, or is already, fearless. American President Franklin D. Roosevelt told the American people in World War II that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, whatever that means. And seriously, who can object to John Lennon's song lyrics, so this is Christmas, and what have you done? Another year over, and a new one just begun. A very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Let's hope it's a good one without any fear. And yet, despite all that, at least some negative fear is good, right? The healthy fear of crossing the road without looking while wearing your noise-canceling headphones is, for example might just save your life. More provocatively, though, is the cynically humorous character from Scrubs, Dr. Cox, who reckons that fear is good. It keeps you from becoming a shoddy doctor. Perhaps unsurprisingly, Dr. Cox happened to use an earthier word there than shoddy, and he is the kind who rather enjoys yielding fear over his junior physicians like a weapon. Now, in verse 4 of Luke chapter 12 here, Jesus says, Do not fear those who kill the body. And he has just finished telling his disciples to beware the leaven of the Pharisees in verse 1. The leaven which is hypocrisy, which is another way of saying, do not fear other people's opinions of you and pretend to be something you're not to please them. The Pharisees themselves were very insecure. They clearly feared what others thought of them. And so they hid behind masks of holiness an outward appearance of holiness. But inside, they had unregenerate hearts and did not really trust God. 
And so Jesus is now telling his friends, verse 4, his followers, to be fearless. Fearless of those Pharisees, those hypocritical fanatics, which is a tough call because they were bloodthirsty men who stoned Stephen to death in Acts 7 and, of course, orchestrated Jesus' own crucifixion. But Jesus doesn't want his friends to be paralyzed by fear of what they could do to you, kill you, verse 4, or drag you before synagogues, verse 11. He desires his friends' peace of heart and mind, no matter the circumstances. And of course, we're not to go looking for trouble with some kind of martyr's complex, an attitude that says, kill me now. I don't want to be around on this earth any longer anyway. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and work with your hands. But trouble will often come looking for you. And we are not to fear the religious extremists to the extent that we can't live out our faith and enjoy our relationship with God and other believers. God's wisdom is required to help us know when to speak about our faith and when to keep quiet. And in our own situation here in Scotland, it may not be religious fanatics that we're most likely to fear, but the secular fanatics who hide behind such masks as hashtag be kind, and yet who are anything but kind to those who don't agree with their own ideology. A narcissism that pretends to be compassionate for personal gain and practices the persecution of people who hold to other beliefs. Hypocritical fanatics can do terrible things to you. They can kill you or cancel you. But even so, they can't separate you from the love of God. And Jesus isn't saying, you know, just do not fear. And we're like, okay, no problem. We can do that. The reality is we need to be courageous sometimes. And courage is not the absence of all fear, but acting bravely and wisely in spite of it. In spite of very natural negative fears. It's not letting our fears cripple us to the point of disowning Jesus. Because Jesus goes on to say in verse 9, the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. 
in a moment of weakness, your fear of fanatics may get the better of you, just like it did for Peter. Three times he denied Jesus, but Peter also repented, didn't he? And so if you trust in Jesus like Peter, then like Peter, you too are one of Jesus' friends. And you will also later repent and be forgiven. And afterwards, Peter clearly grew in fearlessness. And we will also grow in ours. Jesus will not allow his true friends to deny him, ultimately. Instead, he continues to pray for us and strengthen us for whatever lies ahead. And yet next, in order for his friends to develop in their fearlessness, Jesus says something perhaps a little unexpected. He wishes them all a happy new fear. But I will warn you whom to fear, verse 5. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Jesus warns his friends to fight fear with fear. So it seems that the antidote to the fear of man is actually the fear of God. But is this not just a new negative fear? Like that phrase that some people say, that'll put the fear of God into them. Does fearing God mean that you'd better keep up your Max Shane Bible reading plan this year? Or he might just send you to hell. That if you don't read your Bible and pray often enough, that you're in big trouble. Is that what the fear of God is to you? And whenever you sin, do you say in your heart, I promise I'll do better next time, Lord. Just please don't put me in hell. I hope not. And if that ever was to be the case, you'd actually be better to stop reading your Bible altogether and just turn up at church and hear the gospel of God proclaimed to your heart and mind week after week until your heart finally realizes that it's Jesus alone who saves you to the uttermost. That it's Christ alone and not his death plus your devotions that seals the deal. And then once your faith is biblically tuned to the law gospel distinction, you could start reading your Bible again. 
Read it because it's a means of grace and it strengthens you. Read it because it's a good thing to do, not because you think it helps to keep you out of hell. Because that's the exact opposite meaning of what Jesus is talking about here. It's a completely different kind of fear that Jesus is warning his friends to have now. Because this fear of God is an altogether happy fear. This kind of fear has no negative elements to it whatsoever. Remember what John says? When we looked at 1 John, perfect love drives out fear. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. 1 John 4.18 And so that means if you trust in Jesus for salvation, then God's perfect love drives out negative fear. No condemnation now, you dread. When you're a believer in him, you're not afraid of him. So there's no negative threat here in Jesus' words. He never threatens his friends. But rather, Jesus is warning his friends to wise up. He's teaching us like the Proverbs of Solomon teach us. As it says in Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And this is not a negative fear. This fear is the thrill of knowing God. The fear of the Lord doesn't chill to the bone. Quite the opposite. It thrills us to the heart. In Exodus 20, verse 20, Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you. In other words, do not chill fear, Moses says, for God has come to test you that the thrill fear of him may be before you. I used to think that the best synonym for the fear of God was either reverence or awe. But I was persuaded through reading Sinclair Ferguson and Mike Reeves to think otherwise. 
it goes way beyond mere respect for God or mere reverence for God, says Mike Reeves. The fear of the Lord, of course, includes respect and reverence and awe. But none of them really do justice to the word by themselves. Because the thrill fear of the Lord is not limited to only the, the more transcendent aspects of his character. It's also the thrill of loving him. The thrill of joy in him. The thrill of hope in him. It's no ordinary hope that we're called to have. But a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. The fear of the Lord shapes us with wise understanding. In every aspect of his character. And so it's all a happy new fear. And it's God's perfect love that drives out the fear that chills. And his perfect love that provides the fear that thrills. So there's two very different meanings of fear. Both, however, have the same root word. And so it's the context that tells you whether it's the happy or negative kind. In Luke 1, Gabriel calmed Mary's negative fears when he announced Jesus' birth, saying, do not be afraid, Mary. Well, Mary responded in her Magnificat by saying, the Lord's mercy is for those who fear him. The happy kind of fear. And Mary's own experience turned from a terrifying one into a thrilling one. Much like the shepherds in Luke 2, who were initially filled with fear, or in the old translation, sore afraid at the angel of the Lord's appearing. But shortly after, they bounded into Bethlehem to see the Christ. And whether it's a thrill fear or a chill fear that you have for the Lord entirely depends on whether you trust in the Lord or not. C.S. Lewis illustrates this when he described what happened to the children in Narnia when they heard Aslan's name for the first time. At the name of Aslan, each one of the children felt something jump in its inside. Peter felt suddenly brave and adventurous. Susan felt as if some delicious smell 
or some delightful strain of music had just floated by her. And Lucy got the feeling you have when you wake up in the morning and realize that it is the beginning of the holidays or the beginning of summer. And yet at the same time, Edmund felt a sensation of mysterious horror. So there was a thrill and a chill from hearing the same name. And if you don't yet trust the Lord, then you can only really dread fear the Lord because you don't yet find the God of the Bible attractive. But a believer's fear of the Lord is more like being covered all over in goosebumps at just how wonderful he is. Our friend Lewis again. Then Lucy forgot everything else because Aslan himself was coming, leaping down from cliff to cliff like a living cataract of power and beauty. The fear of the Lord is like having your breath taken away by the Lord's power and gentleness and faithfulness. Because God is not some giant heart-shaped squishy. He's not somebody that anybody could ever have come up with. He has the authority to cast into hell. And thankfully, no one else has that authority. The religious fanatics can't send you to hell. The secular fanatics can't send you to hell. If they could, they might, but they can't. So no ultimate harm can come to you. And that's what Jesus is saying in verse 5. God is big. Your enemies are not so thrill fear him. Don't chill fear them. Fear him, ye saints, and you will have nothing else to fear. And God really delights to look after you too, you know. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, verse 6? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows, says Jesus. It's all too easy to lose sight of how much he cares for us. Look at the little sparrows. 
he provides for them. How much more does he provide for you? How much more does he love you? There are hundreds of sparrows, thousands, millions. There are two a penny, far too many, there must be. There are hundreds and thousands, millions of sparrows, but God knows everyone and God knows me. I don't know if you ever sang that song in Sunday school. Back in the day, that was a favorite and the one that I went to in Edinburgh. Though that might have been partly because my dad, also my Sunday school teacher, came up with a funny little improv between the verses that the kids thought was great. And he's here today. If you like, you can ask him about it. But the thing about sparrows being to a penny is to show how little value they had in the world of Jesus' day. Back then, sparrows were caught, skinned, and roasted. But there's not much meat on a sparrow. So they were to a penny, says Matthew's account. And Luke's account here elaborates just a little bit further. Yes, they cost two a penny, but if you buy another two, then they'll throw an extra one in for free. Five sparrows for two pennies. Almost worthless in the eyes of the world. And yet God knows and cares for each one. Each little bird is known and not forgotten by him. Each one is incredibly valuable to him. But if it was possible to take a set of scales and put one billion sparrows on, on the one side, it would never outweigh his care for you, his adopted child on the other. You are of more value than many sparrows. You may be thought of as having little value in the eyes of the world. And you may be viciously attacked if you don't share the same values as the world. If you stick your neck out and even tactfully and graciously disagree with our culture's non-biblical views. The world doesn't value you if you don't value what it values. But God values and cares for you way beyond what you can comprehend. And if he doesn't forget the sparrow, then he will never forget you. 
no matter what happens. So don't lose sight of the value and care that God has for you in your fight to be fearless, in the fight to fear not. Sometimes it seems scarcely believable that God loves sinners like us so much. That even on our very worst days, he is a mighty warrior who saves. A mighty warrior who will rejoice over you with gladness. Who will quiet you with his love. Who will delight in you with loud singing as he says in Zephaniah 3.17. That's just another biblical peek into how much he cares for you, how strong and tender he is towards you. And nothing can happen to you that he doesn't sovereignly ordain in his mysterious loving will. Trust his providence. He knows how to look after you for your good. Indeed, he knows everything. He knows the exact number of hairs on our heads. And although those numbers vary a bit, on average, according to Google, Human beings have around 100,000 hairs on their heads. So that's roughly 100,000 reasons to believe that God knows you and knows you intimately. And yet because God just doesn't just deal roughly in averages, he is sovereignly caring over every unique detail and every circumstance of your life. And it is Jesus who is our mighty warrior, who has saved us into this total sovereign care package. Our Pharisee unmasking, hypocrisy exposing savior, Jesus. The Lord Jesus, who never faked his own holiness behind a mask of self-righteousness, but was genuinely holy from head to toe and all the way in. The one who has delivered us from needing to fake it till we make it in holiness. Because united to him through faith, we are counted as holy through and through. He's delivered us from needing to fear what others think of us and of the crippling fear of persecution in this present evil age, of the fear of death and hell. Jesus was not paralyzed by fear 
of those who kill the body so that he could not enjoy his relationship with his father and with his disciples, his friends. He led a quiet life and worked with his hands for 30 years. But when his time came to fulfill all righteousness, trouble came looking for him. And he so incensed the religious fanatics by his fearless calm in their presence. When they called him such names as the Prince of Demons. But did Jesus have a thrill fear of the Lord? Well, Luke talks about Jesus growing in wisdom and stature in Luke 2.52. And if the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, then yes. And Isaiah prophesied these words about Jesus in Isaiah 11.2, that the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord and that his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. So certainly he knew this happy fear of the Lord, his father. He knew it not only here on earth, but he also, he has also enjoyed it for all eternity. Now you may feel like you've hardly begun to thrill fear the Lord as a believer and are still a tad uncomfortable with even the idea that a happy kind of fear exists. You're not alone. Jesus is the only one who has thrill-feared the Lord perfectly. And on earth, he did that for you as part of his perfect holiness to you, his gift of perfect holiness to you as part of his fulfilling the covenant of works that Adam failed for you. So you've already thrill-feared the Lord perfectly in Christ. So you don't need to fear continuing the small start in thrill-fearing the Lord in the days and years to come. And the Spirit of the Lord is within you to accomplish this beginning of wisdom. The system is stunningly rigged in your favor, believer. We're all perfectly covered in the covenant of grace. 
Jesus felt the negative fear of the cross in the garden. Not a sinful fear, but the negative fear of imminently drinking the cup of God's wrath. The cup he drained for your sins and mine. Long in the planning, the cup he had promised to drink from in the covenant of redemption before the foundation of the world. But his thrill fear prevailed in the garden. It was stronger than the chill fear he knew as he faced Calvary. His love for his father and for us was far stronger. And his courage at being cast into hell on the cross beyond heroic. Only God has the authority to have his son die in your place so you can go to the other place. That place of no more negative fears or tears. But the place where you will fully experience the fear of the Lord as true joy and perfect love. Where you will fully enjoy what Mike Greaves calls God's fearfully lovely glory. God is with us, Grace Church, as we face another new year. Jesus has our 2024 all mapped out. And he will lead us all through with trademark, strong, and tender grace. Amen. Amen. Let's close by singing together, King of 